Today on the Matt Walsh CarCast, yesterday's January 6th festivities were as insufferable as expected. We'll take a look at some of the uh, the highlights and lowlights, and we'll also compare January 6th to the BLM riots of 2020 to see if we can determine which was worse. It's not hard to do because really there's no competition here at all. Uh, also, Nancy Pelosi told one of the most egregious lies we've heard from a politician in quite some time, which is saying something. And Russia has a plan to stop pedophiles, um, and that is to ship them off to penal colonies in the Arctic. Could we learn something from that strategy? Plus, we we now know what online shopping in the metaverse might look like, and it's as dreary and dystopian as you might expect. And Morgan Wallen survived his cancellation attempt and went on to have the number one best-selling album across all genres last year. So why am I canceling him anyway? Well, I'll talk about that and much more today on The Matt Walsh. You know, yesterday was a difficult time, I think, for all of us. You know, the the, the tragedy of January 6th is it's not just what happened, which was horrible and horrific and quite easily the most tragic event in the history of Western civilization, but, but, but even worse are the fears you know, of what might happen next. And these are fears felt by everybody of all ages. And I, I know from experience, in fact, last night I was putting my seven-year-old pangender child Sundance down to bed. And uh, as I was turning off the light, they looked at me right in the eye and they said, Matt, we're on a first name basis, of course. Um, they said, Matt, w- what happens if there's another January 6th? Will our democracy survive? And I paused for a moment and, and I thought about it. And then I looked them right back in the eye and I said, my sweet child, democracy is already dead. We're doomed. And they burst into tears and so did I. And we just held each other and sobbed for hours. It was a, it was a terrible moment, but, but also a beautiful moment in a certain way. Um, in any case, yesterday was January 6th, as you were probably reminded, one or two or maybe you know 97 times. It's kind of difficult to transition into a more straightforward conversation about this topic when I start decided to lead off with a fake story about my pangender child named Sundance. But we're already off to the races, so let's just keep going. Now, the central point I want to make here is actually not about January 6th at all. But before we get to that point, I do have to review. I feel like I must review a few of the cringiest episodes yesterday during the, the left's January 6th festivities. It, it was destined already to be the most insufferable day in American history, and I think it certainly lived up to that billing. So kicking off right away with Kamala Harris delivering a somber address in remembrance of that day while drawing direct comparisons between a bunch of dummies trespassing in the Capitol and Pearl Harbor. Listen. Fellow Americans, good morning. Certain dates echo throughout history including dates that instantly remind all who have lived through them where they were and what they were doing when our democracy came under assault. Dates that occupy not only a place on our calendars, but a place in our collective memory. December 7th, 1941. September 11th, 2001. And January 6th, 2021. Well, there you go. Pearl Harbor, 9-11. I mean, I'd say that almost basically exhausts the list of bad things in history that the average leftist is aware of. 
There, there is one other she didn't mention, though, and that is the Holocaust. But surely, surely, surely nobody would ever be so egregious, so utterly without shame as to actually compare January 6th to the Holocaust. Surely nobody would do that. You might insist. And you would be wrong. Dwight Eisenhower during World War II made sure all the Holocaust camps were filmed. So we've got the film footage. So now we're combating conspiracy theorists, deniers, and some, um, and, you know, trumpeteers. But the, my worry is what do we call this and make sure we, we honor this day, this dark stained day every year. So we've got to keep saying January 6th. I think it is like December 7th, Pearl Harbor, and it is like the 9-11 um, tragedy. And we also have need to not be afraid to call it the Trump insurrection of January 6th, because in the end, all roads to what went wrong that day lead to Donald Trump's ill behavior, his anti-democratic stance. He took the big lie after the presidential election tallies came in and Joe Biden had won by millions of votes. Well, now that we have that base covered with all of the overwrought historical analogies, um, what we need next are, of course, the inspirational musical performances. Unfortunately, Lin-Manuel Miranda and the cast of Hamilton, they were on hand. Well, they were on Zoom anyway. Um, not not wearing masks, which I thought was very reckless. And they were there to serenade members of Congress with a rendition of whatever the hell this song is. When you smile, I fall apart. And I thought I was so smart. My father was in Toronto. My father was in Toronto. I swear that I'll be around for you. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll make a million mistakes. I'll make the world safe and sound for you. Come of age with our young nation. We'll bleed and fight for you. We'll make it right for you. If we lay a strong enough foundation, we'll pass it on to you. And that was followed, of course, finally by the requisite um, candlelight vigil and the somber and this time masked performance of God Bless America. God bless America, my home, sweet home. God bless America, my home, sweet By the way, if you're wondering what using the Lord's name in vain looks like or sounds like, it's it's that. That's what it sounds like. It doesn't actually mean using the Lord's name in vain. That, that doesn't actually mean using a phrase like damn. In fact, God does damn things, and there's nothing wrong necessarily with pointing that out. If I were to say that I'm that I'm I'm tired of of damned gender theory being taught in schools, which I am, and it is, that's not taking the Lord's name in vain because gender theory is a damned and damnable thing. But um, there we have people singing the name of God in an empty and manipulative way, purely for theatrics, to score political points. That's what taking his name in vain sounds like, okay? But I digress. There is, I think, one fundamental point that needs to be made about all of this. And here it is. 
January 6, 2021 was a time when a group of useful idiots did something very stupid, something that had zero chance of producing any positive result whatsoever, positive for them anyway. There was nothing positive that could possibly come out of it for them, them personally, um, politically, anything. And in doing that, those useful idiots provided ammunition to the left, which the left will never stop using, ever. In fact, as annoying as all of this pageantry is, it's almost pointless to complain about it. Because of course the left is going to do this. Sure, the whole routine is cynical and absurd, but what else do you expect them to do? A bunch of right-wing dummies rioted at the Capitol. Do we expect the left to say, hey, you know what? Let's not make a big deal out of this. Let's just move on, guys. Is that what we expect them to do? No, only Republicans are stupid enough to refuse a gift when their enemies hand it to them. Democrats are, are going to make hay. That's what they do. If you give them lemons, they make lemonade. If you give them lemonade to begin with, then they'll just say thank you and they'll sip from it gratefully and repeatedly forever. It might not be honest or right morally, but it's smart politics. And, and that's what they're doing with January 6th. That's why when I look at what's happened and how the narrative has formed, and I look at you know what happened yesterday, I'm not nearly as angry at the Democrats as I am at the Republicans. Democrats, again, are using the ammunition that they've been given. The hapless Republicans will whine about it, but rather than whining, they should be doing the exact same thing with the BLM riots. All of the time that the Democrats spend talking about January 6th, Republicans should be spending the exact same amount of time talking about the BLM riots. And in that case, it would not be dishonest or cynical because unlike January 6th, the BLM riots of 2020 were in fact an assault on our way of life, our civilization, um, uh, our democracy, if you like. They were deadly. They were actually deadly. They were catastrophic. They were unthinkably tragic. And they were supported every step of the way by every elected Democrat in the country, explicitly supported. The BLM riots resulted in 25 deaths, dozens of injuries, $2 billion of damage across the country. They sparked a crime surge that still hasn't died away. They were several, several orders of magnitude worse than January 6th, worse in every way by every conceivable metric. Okay. They had exactly the destabilizing effect on our system that January 6th allegedly had, but didn't really have. It's not a coincidence that crime is running rampant in many of the cities where these riots occurred. The criminals learned that they could get away with this kind of thing. They could get away with violence, arson, looting, and so on. And they've taken that message to heart. The BLM riots, therefore, have a lasting impact and a relevance that January 6th does not have. Nobody is, it's not like there are going to be more riots at the Capitol. Nobody is ever rioting at the Capitol ever again, okay? That much is guaranteed. The people who took part in, in that are paying dearly for it. Paying much more dearly than they should, actually, according to how the law is written. They're being overcharged. But the, the BLM riots, rioters have paid almost no price at all. So they've learned the exact opposite lesson. This is why the BLM riots represent an ongoing existential threat 
in a way that January 6th does not and never did and never could and never will. And while most people on the right condemned January 6th while it was happening, I mean, almost everybody did. Except for the people that were there in the building. Everybody else said, this is, this, you shouldn't be doing this. Like, obviously, you shouldn't be rioting at the Capitol. Um, but that hasn't happened on the left. On the left, most people supported BLM and still do to this day without apology. See, this is not whataboutism, just to be clear. Bringing up BLM is not whataboutism. Bringing up January 6th is whataboutism. Because that is the irrelevant thing used to distract from the more important thing. And this is a point that Republicans could make. And they could keep making. Over and over again. They could have candlelight vigils for the officers killed or injured by BLM. They could have days of remembrance. They could have memorial services. They could give speeches. You know, they could make sure that nobody ever forgets the date when retired, retired police captain David Dorn was shot in cold blood by a BLM militant during a riot. Or the date when BLM militants invaded a police station in Minneapolis and burned it to the ground while the officers ran for their lives. Republicans could do that, but they don't. I mean, they could talk about it incessantly, constantly, so that nobody ever forgets. And that each Democrat responsible for encouraging it is held responsible, branded with it, has to wear it around their necks for life. They could do that, but they don't because they are feckless, hapless, incompetent, and scared. What else is new? Now let's get to our five headlines. As I'm sitting here in my car, um, now is probably a good time to tell you about an app that you all need to get if you haven't gotten yet. Get Upside. With Get Upside, my listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Walsh and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill-up. That's up to 50 cents cash back uh, on your first fill-up, 25 cents cash back on every fill-up after that. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are uh, making as much as two or $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch, okay? It's very simple. The cash is added to your account, and uh, there's no red tape, no hoops you got to jump through. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal. You can get an e-gift card from Amazon and other brands. So just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. That's code Walsh. All right, we're still in the car. Um, you would never know that this is one of the top political podcasts in the country based on the fact that I'm, you know, in a car and also based on the very poor quality of the podcast in general, in terms of the content. Um, and I might be here for a while at this point. We got, I would say we got like eight or nine inches of snow out, out here. And, um, that means that we'll be snowed in probably until March because, because they don't do anything. Have I complained about this before? I think I have. Um, well, you're going to hear it again because here in Tennessee, when there's snow on the ground, they don't do anything for it. They don't, they don't break, they don't send a plow out on the road. They don't treat the roads. They don't put salt down. They don't do a damn thing. So they're the people that run the city in Nashville, their message to the population is, well, oh, there's snow on the ground. Well, it's, I, I, I guess 
just stay in your house until it goes away. You know, we, we got the sun in the sky. They'll, the sun will take care of it eventually. Now, the claim that, because when I got here last year for the first winter in Nashville, and, um, and it snowed, and the roads were unusable for a, a week and a half because they didn't plow any of them. And that happened, and I complained about it then. And I was told that, well, this doesn't happen often enough um, for, you know, to, to, to keep this in the budget. Like, it's not worth the money to have plows and salt trucks and everything because we, we don't get this often enough. Well, really? Because this is my second winter here, and this is the second snowstorm we've gotten. So it, how often does it need to happen for it to be worthwhile? And how expensive is it really to have a couple of plows and some salt trucks? I bet you. Okay, let me take a look at the budget here at the city of Nashville. Let me take a look at what they're spending money on. And I bet you I could find money in the budget for some plows and salt trucks. I bet you I could. I mean, we could start with, I, you know, I'm sure they have uh, diversity consultants and equity consultants and everything and tolerance and inclusion uh, experts and everything. They've got them on the budget, I'm sure. So let's start there, get rid of them. Get rid of all the diversity consultants and replace them with plows and salt trucks, and we can start there. Um, that's the negative part of the snow. The, the good part is that um, I did frolic and play in the snow yesterday, joyously, as I promised. As joyous as I get, anyway. Actually, I thought this was a pretty good parenting moment for me, pretty inspirational. Um, so check this out. I, I, you know, I, I look at the, we have the video here. I wanted to go sledding with my daughter, as I, as I said, and uh, we were about to sled down the hill, but then... As you can see, I, I, re, I realized that she was weighing me down because the snow's really powdery and uh, we hadn't made a track yet for the sleds. And she was weighing me down and I wanted to sled. And so um, I just picked her up and threw her off the sled and said, you're weighing me down. And then I tried to go without. She climbs back on. I push her off again. And then I go and sled on my own. This is what parenting's all about, okay? Sometimes as a parent, you got to dump the dead weight. That's all. You just saw a coyote run by. Anyway, um, and then after that, we played a game called King of the Mountain, where my, uh, my, my kids would try to climb up the hill, but then I would push them back down, and that was a lot of fun. So the whole thing was a lot of fun. It was, it was also kind of fun to, be, uh, to work from home, which I haven't done in a while. And, um, you know, yesterday, th there are some hiccups, though, because yesterday I was, you know, working in, in our room, and my wife brought me lunch, which was very nice, because she made lunch. It was, just, like, it was a sandwich and some chips. And, uh, but the thing is, at the Daily Wire... They're also very nice, and they provide us with lunch every single day. And so, like a catered lunch. And so when my wife brought me the uh, sandwich and chips, I said, well, thanks for that. But, you know, at the Daily Wire, um, they usually give us an entree and two sides. So she didn't take kindly to that. I don't know why. Just a little bit of constructive criticism sometimes is what you need in a marriage, I think. Okay, so I have to play two more clips for you from yesterday, and and because these are two of the most egregious, and we'll start with this, which is which is I I think one of the more egregious lies we've heard from a politician, I don't know ever, and um, obviously that that's really saying something. So listen to Nancy Pelosi here. Let us acknowledge today. As I conclude, I want to acknowledge our fallen heroes of that day. U.S. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, U.S. Capitol Police Officer Howard Livingood, Metropolitan Officer Jeffrey Smith, U.S. Capitol Police Officer Billy Evans of a later assault. Now I ask all members to rise 
for a moment of silence in their memory. So you heard there from, from Nancy Pelosi. What you just heard was every part of that was a total lie. I mean, she really is a decrepit, lying, decaying old sack of filth. Truly is. She named four officers there who were, she says, victims on January 6th. But we lost because of violence on January 6th. And she names Brian Sicknick, Jeffrey Smith, Howard Liebengood, and Billy Evans. So let's review those names for a moment. And um, all of them did, in fact, die, tragically. And it's very, very sad. But Sicknick died of a stroke. And there was never confirmed to be any connection whatsoever between January 6th, violence on January 6th, and uh, Sicknick's stroke. You know, there was no substantial physical, uh, internal or external injuries that would have caused that. So he died of an unrelated medical emergency. Smith and Liebengood died days or weeks later of, a, of suicide, which again is tragic. <clears throat> um, and even more tragic now that, it's, that their deaths are being exploited by people like Nancy Pelosi and the media. This is a connection, of course, that the media made right away when they heard that, you know, three weeks later, someone who was a Capitol Police officer died of suicide. And all the headlines were just drawing this connection that, well, clearly he he killed himself because he was traumatized by January 6th. How do you know that? Where where are you getting that from? Did, Did you take a look at the suicide note and that's how you know it? Or are you just assuming this because you want it to be true? Because you don't give a damn about these people, the fact that they're dead and their families are being left behind, what their families are going through. You don't care about that. You're happy that they died. You're happy that they killed themselves because you can use it. And I know that's the case. Because if you weren't happy about it as something that you could use, um, then you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't be drawing this connection at all. You don't know anything. I mean, Howard Liebengood and Jeffrey Smith, you don't know anything about their lives at all. You don't know anything about what was happening, what was going on in their lives, going on inside them internally in their minds. There are lots and lots of, anytime a suicide occurs, there are many contributing factors that, that play into it in someone's life. And for you to stand off a thousand miles away and say, well, I'm sure it was this. I'm, I'm going to draw a direct connection between this event that they were involved in and suicide, that is um, reprehensible. It really is. Um, And there's also, there's no evidence that the suicides had anything to do with January 6th. But there are, there there are some very good reasons to assume that they, that the two things are not connected. And the number one, the number one reason is that again, police officers across the country were, um, subject to violence from rioters for months and months on end. And there has not been a a suicide epidemic across the country with officers who were dealing with rioters. And so when you look at these two cases, what you see are outliers. And then the the most logical assumption is that, well, they had other things going on in their lives and in their minds that led to this tragic outcome. And then what's the the fourth uh, name they mentioned? Billy Evans. Billy Evans was killed um, by violence, but he was killed months later in the spring by a leftist Farrakhan supporter. And Nancy Pelosi mentions him too. 
And you know what the greatest lie of all of all is? Those are some bad lies from Nancy Pelosi. The greatest lie is that these people give a damn about dead cops in the first place because they don't. These are the the only dead cops that any person of the Democrat Party has ever cared about are these Capitol Police officers. Because their deaths can be connected to January 6th. Well, their deaths can't really be connected to January 6th, but um, but the, the media and the Democrat Party are connecting it, and that's why they care. Biden also uh, blatantly lied, of course, during his address to the nation, calling it an armed insurrection. Listen to this. This wasn't a group of tourists. This was an armed insurrection. They weren't looking to uphold the will of the people. They were looking to deny the will of the people. They were looking to uphold. They weren't looking to uphold a free and fair election. They were looking to overturn one. They were looking to save the cause of America. They were looking to subvert the Constitution. This isn't about being bogged down in the past. It's about making sure the past isn't buried. That's the only way forward. That's what great nations do. They don't bury the truth. They face up to it. Sounds like hyperbole, but that's the truth. They face up to it. We are a great nation. My fellow Americans, in life there's truth, and tragically there are lies. Lies conceived and spread for profit and power. We must be absolutely clear about what is true and what is a lie. He can't accept he lost, even though that's what 93 United States senators, his own attorney general, his own vice president, governors and state officials in every battleground state have all said he lost. That's what 81 million of you did as you voted for a new way forward. He has done what no president in American history, the history of this country has ever, ever done. He refused to accept the results of an election and the will of the American people. When you looked at the mob ransacking the Capitol. I mean, what were they armed with exactly? Brochures? Most of these people were, were walking around sightseeing once they got inside the Capitol. Armed? Who, who are the armed ones? But see, this is this is all a losing game anyway. Um, that I said we shouldn't play, and and here I am, ranting and raving about it. Um, it's a it's a losing game when when uh, you know when the left wants to talk about January sixth, and then instead on the right we spend all of our time talking about why we're not going to talk about January sixth, because then we're, we are still talking about it, or when we get into the well, it wasn't so bad. We get into this this. Uh, this back and forth about that, about the, how bad it really was and that sort of thing. Um, what we should be doing again, and go back to the beginning, we should be redirecting the conversation to what actually matters. That would be the BLM riots. So we've already done that. Okay. So from the Daily Mail, it says, Russia is to toughen its child sex laws this month to automatically jail repeat pedophiles for life in harsh polar prisons Monsters who sexually abuse children should serve their sentences in hard labor penal colonies in the the Arctic, where they could be forced to work in Siberian mines, the country's parliamentary speaker said. The new legislation is being pushed through after a horrific case this week 
of a girl, five years old, who was abducted by a, a pedophile repeat offender and uh, then raped and stabbed to death. And so in Russia, this is how they respond. They say, we well, you know what, we're going to take these pedophiles now, ship them off to the Arctic and uh, use them as slave labor in Arctic mines until they, until they die. This is justice, by the way. This is what justice looks like. Um, you, you might define justice as, as proportional consequences for your actions. It's also the most compassionate, I think. It's compassionate to victims of these crimes where the, the perpetrators are given a consequence that is proportional to the crime. It is uh, compassionate to society because we're removing these dangerous people from it. And even if you're concerned about compassion for the offenders themselves, it's actually the most compassionate for them because it's a punishment. This, this is the only chance at any kind of redemption or repentance. Um, I take a very dim view of, uh, of, 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 you know, the chance that, that any sex offender or pedophile could ever, you know, be reformed. I don't know that that's even possible. But we have to believe that repentance, at least, is possible for everybody, at least theoretically. And if there's any chance of any kind of repentance, um, it would require for anybody, you know, whatever you've done, if you're, if you're ever going to truly repent of it, that, that requires you to confront your sin in, in, and confront the, the, the true severity of it. And if you've done something like that, then the only way to force this confrontation is with a punishment, with an extremely harsh punishment. You can't really be sorry for a sin if you if you are not uh, if you're not if you're not going to face what you've done. And punishments like this force people to face. Uh, that's I think it's also true for the death penalty as well. You know, some people say we can't have the death penalty because, in fact, that's this is one of the the so-called Christian arguments against the death, against the death penalty, is that uh, you know if you have the death penalty, then then you you have removed you've you've potentially uh, taken away an opportunity for someone to have, experience repentance and, and, and therefore redemption and to have a conversion experience. Because if you kill them, then, then that, that kind of cuts that short. But I think the opposite is true. Because first of all, it's not like we're taking these people, the condemned people, and marching them out back as soon as they've been convicted and um, you know hanging them from the gallows. I think there'd be something to be said for that approach, but that's not what we do. So they've got years and years, sometimes decades in prison, um, and that should be plenty of time for redemption and repentance. But when, you know, when you're given a date of your death and you're told you're, you are going to be executed because of what you've done, then that is a very good opportunity to actually confront, confront the severity of your sin, the darkness of it. And um, because now you're also confronting your mortality and then maybe there can be some repentance. Okay. Now, by the way, compare this approach to sex offenders and pedophiles. Compare this to, um, the, to what we do. So here's a, another article. This was published yesterday by the New York Post. It says, Subway pitchman turned convicted, convicted pedophile Jared Fogle has finally showed some remorse for his crimes. But not really, if you keep reading. But it's more about what happened to him than what he did. So that's not remorse at all. Um, quote, I really royally screwed up to wind up where I am. The father of two wrote in a handwritten letter dated November 7th, 2021, I was selfish and entitled. Fogel, who prosecutors said had 400 child porn videos in his possession, pleaded guilty in August 2015 to a child pornography charge and paying for sex with an underage girl after traveling from Indiana 
to New York City. And so 400 child porn videos um, attempting to rape a child. He says, oh, I, uh, I really, I really, I really screwed up on that one. This is the first time that Fogel, now 44, has spoken out about his life behind bars. He wrote that he is inspired by a line from the movie The Shawshank Redemption. He says, quote, something like, you can either get busy living or get busy dying when you're sent to prison. I've done everything I can to get busy living and make the most of this unwanted experience. Fogel, who wrote that he thinks that uh, he, he thinks, quote, about all the people I've let down every single day, especially my, my family, has a son and a daughter now 11 and 9. Um, and uh, then he goes on to talk about his prison diet. He says that he tries to avoid junk food. He says he snacks on granola bars and protein bars. He says, quote, I, I feel really good physically and mentally. He says that he, he exercises a lot. Quote, I run four to five miles every day. I'm the most healthy and in shape I've ever been. Um, he says that he, he likes to watch TV. Uh, he spends his free time watching college and NFL football. And he says that uh, the weekends really fly by. And so he's really not having a bad time at the end of the day. So this is how we, this is a, a pedophile, at least an attempted child rapist. That's, but that's the incident we know about that he got caught. Um, it seems very unlikely that that's the only one. So tried to rape a child, um, child, hundreds and hundreds of videos of, of, of child pornography. And this is how we, rather than shipping them off to him off to a polar, to an Arctic penal colony, he's uh, in prison. He's snacking on granola bars. He's hanging out. He's watching TV. And though he says he has, he says that there's repentance, that he's sorry. It's very clear that he's not sorry at all. Um, he's sorry for letting down his family. Okay, that's that's like what you might say if you get a DUI or something like that. But he has not been forced to confront the severity of his crimes. Because this is what we do with these kinds of criminals. To let them just hang out in prison for a few years, watch a lot of TV, um, and, then, uh, and then they could go about their business. All right, here's something that's been making the rounds online. Um, the video is actually a couple of years old, but it's supposed to show what online shopping in the metaverse might look like. And this is what we have. This is what, you know, we can look forward to this, I guess. This is what we have to look forward to. Here's, uh, here's what online shopping in, in a virtual reality Walmart will be like. Great. Looks like you need a good wine pairing. Take a look to your right. Your age has already been pre-verified through your profile. So no need to wait for an ID check. Just place the item in your cart whenever you're ready. I'm getting a notification from your connected smart fridge. It looks like you already have a full gallon of milk at home. Should we put this one back? Good news, your oil change is done. Your vehicle will be ready at the Tire and Lube Express. So basically all of the worst aspects of online shopping and real life shopping is what you get from there. How We've taken all the bad things about both strategies, none of the benefits. So I'm just wondering, how is that an improvement on like regular online shopping as it stands right now? 
How is it? Who, who, when you're, when you're, you know, on a, a website ordering food or something like that, who says to themselves, well, this is pretty convenient, but I wish that I was inside this website so that I could, rather than moving over and just clicking on what I want, I have to pretend to walk over to it on fake shelves in a fake grocery store and grab it with my fake hand. Who says that? What, what, what's the advantage there exactly? But what I think, what I think you really, you really see from this, because this is, um, you know, this is not the only example of the metaverse that we've, we've seen. Jeff Zuckerberg has provided some examples of, of his vision of the metaverse and what, what Facebook will be in the future. I think what you really see is that we are, as a society, creatively exhausted, that this is the best we can come up with. Virtual reality technology. I mean, think about 30 years ago when people imagined the possibility of virtual reality technology and um, you know, what a future might be like when this becomes ubiquitous. And then compare that to, 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 the, to the reality of virtual reality. So we, we, have, we have this technology and now we're just creating um, facsimiles, mills. We're, we're, we're creating carb copies of our normal, everyday, dreary experiences. I mean, why online shopping in virtual reality? Why would you create a virtual reality version of Walmart? If we're going to do it, then why not? Like, on, how about it's a Walmart on Mars or something? And there's and there's there are dragons flying around. I, anything. I mean, you use use your imagination. What is the advantage of of virtual reality, where it's simply a copy of actual reality? but slightly creepier. Um, Finally, I'm sorry that I have to tell you about this, but I do. It's my obligation. A social media influencer named Stephanie Mato has been raising tens of thousands of dollars selling her farts in a jar. This is a real thing. And if you're wondering about the ins and outs of uh, this business, here she is explaining it. Hey guys, today I'm going to be showing you a day in the life of a girl who sells her farts in a jar. So I like to get things rolling with some beans, a protein muffin, sometimes even a yogurt, less sugar is better, some hard boiled eggs. And today I decided I was going to make myself a protein shake with some yogurt added to it. And oh, I was feeling it for sure. Uh, While I wait for those farts to develop, I like to read. I'm very smart, love to read. And then after I'm ready to go, I go ahead and, you know, do my work, do my job. I don't need to show you that, guys, but I like to add in little flower petals. I feel like they attach the scent and make it last longer. And when I'm finally finished with my jar, I like to leave a personalized note. I want to thank you so much to the 97 people who have already purchased their jar of farts. And as you know, they're on sale right now, 50% off of $1,000. So go to my unfiltered and check it. Well, you know, that's one way to earn some gas money. I guess a guy who buys uh, one of the jars is a man after her own fart. But look, I mean, she did build this business from the ground up, and, and that's good because uh, sometimes you just have to uh, fart from scratch. Sorry, I'm done. Maybe. Anyway, tragedy has struck, and uh, this is the latest update about Stephanie. She, apparently, she's now out of the farts-selling game. This is from Metro News. It says a former 90-day fiancé star has um, made a staggering... $38,000 a week from selling her farts in a jar. But now she's revealed that she was rushed to the hospital 
Uh, Stephanie Mato recently shed light on her unusual stream of income, explaining how she utilized her 260,000 strong following as her customer base to sell her pungent product. Uh, but now she says that after a medical incident, she has to get out of the business entirely. Um, it says she may have squeezed out one too many as uh, the reality star had to make a hospital dash. She told Jam Press, quote, I thought I was having a stroke and that these were my final moments. I was overdoing it. Um, she recalled how she consumed three protein shakes and a huge bowl of black bean soup in one day before feeling that something, quote, was not right with a pressure in her stomach that moved up through her body. She thought she was having a heart attack, and now her doctors have advised her to stop doing this. So that's the end of her business. But, you know, maybe she'll start it back up at a later date. Um, and that'll be good, maybe, because you know what they say, absence makes the fart grow fonder. I said I was done. I had to do one more. Sorry. Now, time for the comment section. Daily cancellations are the law and order of the day. Days of Noah says, my ex-wife had multiple personality syndrome. When she went to the psychiatrist, he charged her the group rate. Well, I, I had to throw that in there as well. W well done, Days of Noah. Uh, we're doing the dad. We're in the car. We've got the dad jokes going. Spencer says, Matt needs to convince the DW to make his set look like he's podcasting from a car. Get the best of both worlds. High quality production with car cast nostalgia. We actually considered that a few years ago. We, we talked about really doing that, building a set in a studio that looks like a car. And uh, we decided not to do it in the, in the end, probably for the best. Uh, Snow Aboard says, I wonder if Matt did his own makeup today. He claims his producer does it, but if he's the only one in the car, doesn't that make him the producer and thus the makeup culprit? No, in fact, my wife did my makeup, so which is a sentence that I wish I had not said out loud, but I did. My wife did my makeup. I'm sure when she got married some 10 years ago, this is what she dreamed of, is that one day she'd be able to do her husband's makeup before he goes outside in a snowstorm to do a podcast in his car. These are, these are the moments that she dreamt of as a, as a, young, a young bride. Um, History and Headline says, have you ever interacted with anybody with multiple personalities? Uh, no, because that doesn't exist. And um, so that's why I've never interacted with somebody like that. And Brandon says, as a psychiatrist professional, your concept of DID is spot on. We're seeing trends in some hospital settings from adolescents presenting with rare conditions. TikTok has been brought up many times during the diagnostic interviews. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, we see how social media, again, is a, is a, is a factory for these kinds of social contagions. And um, DID, dissociated identity disorder, is just one example. Iridescent One says, thank you for talking about the self-diagnosis issue on TikTok. It's not just DID either. Kids are faking having Tourette's, autism, bipolar, personality disorders. I have to wonder if parents had any knowledge about what their children do on social media, whether half of this would disappear overnight if they did. Uh, they probably don't. And that's because when, you're ch when you set your child free into cyberspace, it's actually very difficult to keep track of what they're doing. And to keep track of all of the images and ideas that they're being exposed to, which is why I always say, keep your kid off the internet. Don't give them a phone with access to the internet. And you can solve all of these problems very easily that way. Today is a massive day for the Daily Wire and even bigger for America. Today, the Supreme Court will convene to hear arguments on the legality and constitutionality of Biden's vaccine mandates. 
That's why we need to to ask one last time for you to sign our do not comply petition as we can send a very important message. Americans will not comply with tyranny. We have over 1 million signatures already. We need your help with this. So go to dailywire.com slash do not comply and sign the petition now. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So today we're going to have a quick cancellation uh, so that I don't freeze to death out here. It's about 10 degrees outside, and I'm somewhat regretting my decision to record a podcast in a car. But, you know, this is at least better than the old days of the car cast when sometimes it was summer, you know, if it was summer and I, I, would, I would be out in the car when it's 90 degrees and I'm baking alive on camera. So for, for both safety and comfort, I would rec- recommend that if you're considering podcasting from your car, wait for mild weather conditions. Better yet, don't podcast from your car at all, because this is just kind of weird on top of it all. But anyway, today I'm, I'm going to cancel country star Morgan Wallen. Now, Wallen, you probably re- recall, was canceled several months ago after a, a neighbor secretly recorded him as he was outside his house drunk. And uh, he used the N-word once in a joking way towards his white friend. And the video of this drunken banter was sent to the media. And then they took the opportunity to try and ruin Wallen's life and career. Um, because why not? But their plot failed. The Daily Wire has the latest. It says, despite being banned by award shows, suspended by his label, dropped by his agent, and having his songs pulled from radio stations and music streaming platforms, Morgan Wallen has still managed to score 2021's top album in any genre, according to Billboard's year-end report. To the shock of the music industry, fans stood by him after his cancellation, and Dangerous, the double album, which had been released only weeks before, continued to climb the charts. Now that the end-of-year tallies have come in, Billboard reported Wallen's record um, wrapped up the year with 3.2 million equivalent album units earned in the U.S. Most of that total was derived from streaming downloads of the album's list of 30 songs. The outlet also noted that Dangerous is the first country album to top the yearly chart since Taylor Swift's 2009 release, Fearless. Okay, so they tried to cancel him, but instead Wallen turned around and simply became the best-selling recording artist in all genres over the past year. So why am I canceling him then? Why, after surviving his cancellation attempt, would I turn around and cancel him anyway? He defeated cancel culture, didn't he? Isn't that a good thing? That's exactly the point. Many on the right have celebrated Wallen's story as an example of somebody vanquishing cancel culture, but he didn't. Because you can't defeat cancel culture after you've already groveled and apologized. Wallen, immediately after the video was published, apologized repeatedly over and over again. He apologized in written statements. He apologized in video statements. He apologized in interviews. The fact that he went on to have the best-selling album of the year only proves that the apology wasn't necessary. The fans aren't buying his music because he apologized. Uh, They're not saying, oh, you know, he apologized, so that means it's okay to, to listen to his songs now. They're buying his music because they don't care about a vulgarity he used jokingly to a friend while he was drunk outside his house. The fans don't care about that. No normal person cares about that. No rational person ever cared about it. The media cared. They wanted the public to care, but the public didn't care and still doesn't. And that's why he's gone on to to have the most successful album and they're listening to the music anyway. Now, this doesn't vindicate Wallen's response to his cancellation. It only proves once again why he didn't need to respond that way. He thought he was in a PR crisis and apologizing was the only way out, but there was no PR crisis. A PR crisis requires the public's involvement. 
but the public didn't care. The public didn't need an apology. The public was in no way harmed by a word that Wallen drunkenly used to his friend. Nobody was harmed. That's one of the reasons why the public apology genre needs to go away, because in a public apology, you're apologizing to people who were not at all affected by your infraction. What's the point of that? Well, I know the point. It's ritual self-humiliation. And that's a game that Wallen thought he needed to play, but he didn't. So, so what have we learned about cancel culture? We've learned that the media, the media directs cancel culture. You know, they're the drivers of it. They're the conductors. But in order for someone to actually be fully and successfully canceled, it requires one of two things. One, the cooperation of the public. You know, the public needs to be convinced that the canceled person really is an evil scumbag and deserves to be exiled from society. Or two, the cooperation of the canceled person. The canceled person needs to go along with their own cancellation, submit to it, offer themselves as a sacrifice on the altar. Yet the public very rarely cares about the latest outrage as much as the media wants them to. And even when they do care, they always stop caring after a few days because nobody remembers anything for more than a few days. So that means that most cancellations involve number two. They involve the cooperation of the cancelee. And he's cooperating for no reason. He could simply tell his cancelers to screw off and he'd be fine. Yet he apologized anyway. So for the umpteenth time, stop apologizing. Morgan Wallen's case is proof that you don't need to apologize. Just could tell cancel culture to kiss your ass and live your life. But he didn't do that. He could have, but he didn't. And that's why he is ultimately, by me anyway, canceled. And uh, we'll leave it there. And I got to go inside and chip the ice off my toes. I'll talk to you on Monday, hopefully, in a real studio once again. Have a great weekend. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey, everybody, this is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Claven. <laughs> 